So yes, I'm back. Hello ladies and gentlemen, lovely to, to be with you again and to be able to just give you a little bit more um, food for thoughts and hopefully a message that will make you think about life again. Um, this is from a, a sermon that I did uh, a couple of weeks back, um, really looking at um, how we cope with with pressure, how we deal with things that aren't going to plan. So the reason that I've been so scarce and I haven't been able to do a podcast for so long is uh, six weeks back, uh, I had a heart attack, uh, very sudden. I had been feeling the symptoms, but I didn't really know what they were until such a time as I felt like um, Dolph Lundgren had done a a backward roundhouse kick to my chest. And uh, so, yeah, it was a very scary moment in my life. Four stents later, I'm a new person, have a new heart, and so I need to be training for some kind of marathon, I'm sure. But yeah, slowly, slowly, I'll get there. But uh, yeah, um, makes you look at life in a in a whole new way, makes you reevaluate what your priorities are, and also gives you a really good focus in terms of why you're here and what God is trying to to tell you and and where you need to be directing your life. So this sermon sort of ties a little bit into that, but I hope that you enjoy it. Uh, It's been a blessing to have all this support, and thank you so much for supporting the podcast and for listening. Uh, I hope that um, you're all well, and uh, if there's anything that you ever want to say, just leave comments. Uh, It'll be wonderful. Thanks. Cheers. Bye. It's wonderful to be here and to be able to be up here at the, at the altar and to be able to give the word um, and also just to say thank you. Uh, for those of you who maybe don't know or didn't know, uh, almost exactly a month ago I had a heart attack and it was a huge fright for me a huge fright for my family and it's yeah it's been a it's been a process as i've told so many people the physical side of getting better has been easy it's the mental side of going okay so where to from now your confidence gets hit and and every little thing becomes a big thing in your own mind but just to say thank you to this congregation for what you guys have done for me Um, The wonderful way that you guys have supported me and my family, the prayers, the the phone calls, the SMSs, just that you have been there. Uh, And and you can feel, you know, they they talk about the peace that transcends all understanding. Well, that's the kind of peace I've been able to feel in that moment because of the love of St. Mark's. And so I'm very blessed to be part of this congregation and this community. And so thank you from the bottom of my heart for what you guys mean to me and what you have done. So let me start with that. And seeing as we are talking about living victoriously in difficult times, I'm very glad that I've been able to get through it and be victorious. But we're going to be looking at Jehoshaphat, okay? Anyone here named Jehoshaphat? Anyone's children's been named Jehoshaphat? Checking. So this, the story that we're going to be looking at, we're going to be focusing on two chronicles. Okay, so this is a, 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 a battle that King Jehoshaphat was going to go into. 
And I'm going to read from verse 12. So it's 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And I'm going to be reading from verse 12 to verse 20. So this really gives you an insight into how King Jehoshaphat deals with the threat that he is about to encounter. And how his people are keeping him focused on God. And so it's 2 Chronicles chapter 20 from verse 12 to verse 20. So, Jehoshaphat says, Our God will not judge them, for we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood there before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite and a descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all of you who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They'll be climbing up past the uh, up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeriel. And you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Karthites and the Korites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning they left for the desert of Tekoa, and they set out. Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah, and all the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. I just want to carry on to verse 22. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. Thanks be to God for his word. So, when I used to, when I was a lot younger, I used to watch Looney Tunes. Anyone ever watching Looney Tunes here? There was a guy called Yosemite Sam. He was a a sort of a a guy from the the West, and he used to be a mine prospector, and he used to jump up and down and go, Jumping Jehoshaphat. Now, that's how I remember Jumping Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the king of the southern kingdom. Now, he really was Jumping Jehoshaphat. Because before this moment, he had jumped from alliance to alliance to alliance to try and defend the territory that the southern empire, the southern kingdom had. Then he would jump from 
from God to God to God so that he might be able to have uh, some kind of protection for the southern kingdom. He just jumped all over the place in order to protect what he had. He was living in fear and anxiety and nervousness until such a time as he came to repent and to serve Yahweh, the one true God. And now we are entering into the story. A story where he is surrounded by threats. He is surrounded by people that want to take over the kingdom and invade. And he doesn't know what to do. And it says there is a vast army around him. Then it says that the Spirit of the Lord came down upon one of the people in the southern kingdom who was with him. And said, the battle belongs to the Lord. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For this has already been won. God has it in control. Now, even before they go down. So what, what uh, the Spirit of the Lord says, you need to go down to go and face the enemy. But know that the battle has already been won. I think this is very important to know. Go and face the enemy, but know that the battle has already been won. And then what does Jehoshaphat do? He falls down and worships God. And all the men and the women and the children of Judah and Jerusalem, they fall down and they worship God. They praise and worship the God that is going to give them the victory. Then I love that one little verse. It says, God is good and his love endures forever. And then they go down to go and face the enemy. And as they go to face the enemy, it says that the Lord had set set ambushes. When they go and face the enemy, everyone is down. There is no one to face, for God had already defeated that army quite an incredible story because it's a war story without a war, which is kind of the best war that you could possibly fight. But God had already won the victory even before Jehoshaphat had had to go and face the enemy. But it was so important that they did go and face the enemy. Now, instead of going together to go and look at war tactics and how to get more resources and how to find uh, more weapons and how to be able to uh, fight uh, this enemy. What happens is that God speaks to the people of the southern kingdom and says that, focus on me. Go back to God. Worship him. Praise him. Fall down in front of him, and then you shall have the victory. I think that is such a wonderful way of saying, well, we always have a third option when we come to threats. Whenever we are worried, whenever we are anxious, whenever we are nervous, whenever we feel like something's pressing in against us, our psychological state says you have two choices. The one is to fight, and the other one is to run. So fight or flight, that is what our psychology tells us to do. But there's a third option. And the third option is instead of running towards or running away, what about if we stood still and look up? What happens if we encounter God when we are surrounded by threats? 
Now, anyone here feel threats around them? Anyone here nervous about something? Anyone here get anxious about what's going on in the world? Oh, okay, this one. Whew. I was going, this is going to go down really badly because everyone else is quite, quite okay. But when we look at South Africa, we have this political uncertainty. We have an economy that's nosediving. We have unemployment that is skyrocketing. We have families that are starting to degrade. We have economic worries. Uh, we have all kinds of threats that surround us. The truth is that so often we will either try and run towards the threat and try to defeat it, or we will run away from it and numb ourselves and not even encounter it. But that's never been the way of the Lord. The way of the Lord is that we come into a different way of encountering threats. So what is this third way? So we've got fight, we've got flight, and the third way to me, and I'm going to define it as forging. So fight, flight, or forge. Anyone ever heard of the word called forge? Okay. When you work with, with metals, there is a process that you go through where you put this metal under extreme heat and you turn it from a solid state into a liquid state. And when it's in a liquid state, you can mold it and shape it and refine it and harden it so that it is going to be useful. They do it often with, uh, with especially in, in uh, the scriptures, they do it a lot with silver. And in fact, the act of forging is described in Ezekiel, in Psalms, in Proverbs, in Isaiah, in Zechariah, and in Malachi. So the prophets really do see this, this forging as a metaphor for what we as Christians go through. When we feel threats, when we feel that we are being surrounded, when we feel that we, we really got all this pressure on us, we can choose to be forged by God. So you don't run away from the threat, you don't run towards the threat, but you wait for God to refine. So what does the refining process do? Well, the first thing that it does is it removes impurities. Now, I know that when I am in a state of pressure or in a state of extreme uh, sort of nervousness and, and extreme threat, there is something that happens in our lives which gets rid of the impurities. I'm sure many of you can tell me the stories of when, when you were under intense pressure and when you came to God and the impurities in your life. So all the sinfulness or all the areas that weren't transformed by God, they came to the surface. And then you were able to deal with those things. When we are put under extreme pressure, that's something that automatically happens. All of those things that we push to the side start to come up to the surface. And we have to start to deal with that. I'm going to take it a little bit further a little bit later. The second thing is that we are then molded, okay? So the silversmith puts the liquid uh, metal into some kind of mold, 
and he can shape us into what is most needed. So that's the second thing. And the third thing is that we harden. So if you want to make armor or if you want to make some kind of, uh, some kind of weapon, you want your steel or metal to be hard. So those three things happen when we are forged. We have fight, we have flight, or we are forged. Now you might say, look, I'd love to be forged. I'd love to be shaped. I'd love to be molded. I'd love the impurities to come out of my life. I'd like to be used by God for something. Well, there's three ways in how we can try and be forged by God. The first one is that we need to acknowledge pain. We need to acknowledge the pain and the threat. We need to acknowledge the discomfort that we feel. Philip Yancey and a doctor by the name of Paul Brand wrote a book called The Gift of Pain. And I think for many of us, especially in this, in this world, in this generation, we don't want to feel pain. In fact, any invention that can stop us from fe feeling pain, that is what we want. Literally every new thing that comes out onto the market is there so that we might not have to feel pain and all that we need to feel is pleasure. But that is such a dangerous thing for us as Christians. We need to be able to feel the pain. When we can feel the pain, we know where the problem lies. If you've ever been to your doctor, what is the first thing that your doctor asks when you sit down? How are you feeling? And if you say, I'm in pain, he asks, where is the pain? I can deal with where the pain is, then I can work out what is going wrong. The reason that we feel pain is because something is wrong in our bodies. I know this, it's just happened. But Dr. Paul Brand, he used to be, um, he used to work in a hospital in India. And he used to work with the lowest of the low in the caste system. So if anyone knows anything about India is that they had very structured um, classes and the people right at the bottom were the outcasts and they would suffer the most. And most of them suffered with leprosy. Uh, that was the biggest disease that he had to deal with. And he said the problem with not feeling pain, because leprosy starts to break down your nerves, and he said the problem with not feeling pain is you never know where the pain is, and so you can't treat it. He said he walked into a tent that had turned into a hospital, and over there people's limbs were being, slowly being um, broken down, and they didn't know what was going on until one night they saw that rats were coming to bite at people's toes and people's feet and people's fingers. But they couldn't feel the pain. So they didn't know what was going on. Now, we've been given the gift of pain so that when we feel pain, we know that there is a problem and we can deal with that problem. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, all of those things, God has given us the gift of pain so that we might be able to deal with that pain. When we talk about unemployment, the pain is caused by radical inequality in our society. When we have families that are breaking down, it is caused by a lot of moral degeneration and standards and values and, and the 
the family unit that just doesn't spend time together, and attention that is being spent on many other places except for where it should be. The pain can be diagnosed and the pain can be dealt with if we acknowledge the pain. The problem is for many of us, we numb the pain and that makes things worse. Because if you can never feel pain, you can never feel pleasure, you can never feel love, you can never feel compassion, you just start to break down all of who you are when you numb yourself to pain. So God has given us third choice of being able to feel the pain and then to start to make changes in our lives. As I said a couple of months ago, I had a heart attack, and for two days before the heart attack, I could feel the pain. I could start to feel that my chest was closing. I could feel the pressure. There was a pain in my jaw. There was a pain down my left arm, and I knew what the warning signs for a heart attack were. But I ignored it because I had other things to do. I had deadlines, I had uh, things that needed to be done, and so when I finished with that, then I could worry about myself. Now, that leads to even bigger problems, didn't it? Now, for all of you, you have pain in your lives. You have places of discomfort. Don't ignore it. Deal with it. Speak to someone that you trust. Speak to someone who loves you. Speak to someone who uh, will mentor you, but deal with that pain. We need to also do that in our communities. We need to do it in our societies. Wherever there is pain, we need to acknowledge it, and we need to, with the Spirit of God and the, the Word of God and the truth of God, be able to deal with where the pain is. Because if we ignore it, it's going to create even worse things going forward. That's why we have things like prayers of confession. It's something that we don't like to do. We don't like to spend time in silence trying to bring up the pain, but we have to in order to deal with it, in order to heal, in order to feel whole, in order to bring our whole selves to God. Pain is a gift. And when God forges us, we need to acknowledge the pain and we need to deal with the pain. The second thing that I find so incredible is that when Jehoshaphat's army worships the Lord, they already do it as though they have won. They already do it with thanksgiving for what God has already done. And I think that's incredible. Can you imagine that at church we have an issue with finances? Okay, let's say that. And then instead of saying, you know what, Lord, please, Lord, bless us in this, in this place. Bless us because we need more finances. Bless us, Lord, so that we might continue the work. Can you imagine we say, no, what, you know, we're going to have a praise and worship event because God has already provided. Do you think that will change the way that we do things? I think it will be amazing. Wherever there's conflict we say, you know what, we're going to praise God because God has already dealt with that. So we're going to praise God because even though we still need to deal with the issue, we're going to praise God because we know that he will bring us through victoriously. So often we get deep depressed 
because, you know, certain things are not going well. But what happens if with thanksgiving and joy and expectation, we say, Lord, we're going to give these things to you, but we know that it's in your hands and not in ours, and therefore we can rejoice. That's exactly what this army did. There's a a wonderful scripture in Philippians chapter 4 that says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, bring those things to God and with thanksgiving. And with thanksgiving. So it's not saying, God, you know, I really want a million bucks and I'm going to praise you because I've already got it. What you say is, Lord, I'm in this situation and you know what? Because it's in your hands, I'm going to thank you. And I live in expectation that you will answer my prayer in the way that God answers prayer, which is perfectly. Not what I want, but what is right. And So we live in this expectation of God is already claiming the victory. And it's not selfish prayers. It's prayers that saying, Lord, you know what? We're dealing with real problems here in South Africa. But Lord, if we all come to you, we can rejoice for you have already claimed the victory. And if we live in the way that you have taught us, if you live in the, in the truth of the scriptures, if we love one another, if we do what Jesus taught us to do, we already have the victory. We don't have to worry. We don't have to be anxious about what might happen because even though we might have to go through it, at the end of it, God will always come through. His way will always win. I love the story of Desmond Tutu in 1986. 1986, we were in a state of emergency here in South Africa. And he was in a church. And outside the church were protesters, protesting the state of emergency and what was going on in South Africa. And then coming up the road was the, the police. And in those days, the police... There were no such things as civil rights or being nice or trying to uh, gently bring down a protest. They were coming ready to fight. And here's Desmond Tutu, five foot nothing, that comes to stand with the protesters. And then as soon as he sees the police are coming even closer, he comes and he finds something that he can stand on. He stands on it. And he said, why are you coming? Are you coming so that you can celebrate the victory that we have in an equal society? And the the police said, you know, we are coming here to bring down this protest. He said, but we've already won. God has already brought justice. God has already brought mercy. So join us. Join us because we have already won. And so they must have thought that Desmond Tutu was absolutely nuts. But the wonderful thing about prophets is that they know that the victory has already come. They already know that justice will will always win. They always know that righteousness will always win, that the truth will always win. And even though we see around us things that are dark and evil and corrupt, we know that God has already started the work of bringing us into another world, where the kingdom comes, where God's will is always done. And so we need to be standing and saying, we can already claim the victory. And it changes the way that we see the world. We already have, have conquered sin. We have already conquered death. We have already con- conquered the darkness and the evil. God's way will win. And we can claim that for sure. When we can do that, 
When we face the enemy, they're as good as dead. They have no more power over us, for the power of God has already won. So the first thing is we need to acknowledge the pain. The second thing is that we already can start to give thanksgiving for the victory that we can claim. Last one is that sometimes pain can mold us into the, or to bring us into the place where God's plan is for us. Sometimes pain will take us to the place where God's plan is for us. Now, if you look at all these people that have encountered threats and pain and discomfort and tragedy and trauma, it's incredible to see that through that, they've been able to do God's will. Beforehand, they were on a completely different path. God allows bad things to happen so that we might be able to go back onto a path that leads to God's will for our lives. If we look at David, David has an affair. David tries to cover up the, cover up the affair by literally sending someone to his death, in, in actual fact, murdering this person. And we see that he is confronted with his sin. And through that, we have some of the most amazing Psalms that have ever been written. And we see how David changes and he's known as a man after God's own heart. But he had to confront his pain and he had to start to live in accordance with the truth of God. And we start to see how David brings Israel into the new world. Paul persecutes Christians, murders Christians, and then one day he's pretty much kicked off his donkey, he's blinded, and it is only then that he can come into a place where God pushes him into God's will for Paul's life, for well, Saul becoming Paul. Jonah, he has to be pushed off the boat in order to be swallowed by a whale, and only there in the belly of the fish can he come to know that he has gone in the totally different path to where God wanted him. Sometimes our worst times can be used by God so that we can do God's will. Sometimes the worst things in, in life will take us to a point where we can discover our purpose. And if you numb yourself to that, you will never be able to discover what God has in store for you. I want to share with you a story that I read the other day. And I want you to hear how something terrible happens in someone's life, but how God can restore that person. Now I need to find it. Okay, there it comes. All right. So this is written, and it's very deep and, and quite important to, to hear. 2010 was a year of many tears for me, tears of joy and tears of great sorrow. It began in June when my husband and I found out that we were pregnant. We have two beautiful boys that we adopted as babies, but this was my first pregnancy. To say I was ecstatic was an understatement. Then our world came crashing down on us in September. 
I went in for my 18-week ultrasound and was devastated when I heard that my water had leaked at some point, that no fluid was left for the baby, and that delivery was imminent. My first thought was total disbelief, and then pure agony. What was God doing? For the next seven weeks, I defied all odds and didn't deliver. And then on October the 27th, at exactly 25 weeks pregnant, I was admitted to the hospital for what we hoped would be a nine-week stay. But shortly after I was admitted, the monitors showed that I was having contractions and I was rushed back for an emergency C-section. That afternoon, we welcomed our precious baby girl, Eliza Grace, into the world, weighing in at only one and a half pounds, so what's that, 750 grams, and 13 inches long. She was incredibly tiny, but perfectly formed. God, in his great mercy, had allowed me to sustain my pregnancy to the point where I got to meet my daughter and see how he had fearfully and wonderfully made her. The NICU staff, so that's the uh, prenatal uh, emergency staff, fought hard for her. But after an hour of being worked on, we were told that she was not going to live. They unhooked her tiny body from all the tubes and wires and placed my baby on my chest. And that is where she spent the next three hours until she quietly passed away from my arms and into the arms of her heavenly father. Eliza's short life impacted me dramatically. I have been a Christian since I was young, but I have never really been challenged in my faith until I was standing at the grave of my baby girl. At that moment, I had a choice to make, to turn to the one who gave and took away or turn away from him. And I chose to cling desperately to my father. I got into the word with a new fervency and it was no longer just words on a page, but truth and life. As I sought to learn more about God through his word, one thought kept popping up over and over. This isn't how it's supposed to be. But then I came to conclude that nothing in this world is. Too often as a Christian, I get into the habit of thinking I deserve good days and easy paths. But that isn't what God promised me. As I read the word, I saw numerous times how faithful Christians suffered and the ultimate suffering of Christ on the cross. Suffering and pain are part of this fallen world. But those of us who trust in Christ can have great hope that God is using our pain to draw us closer to him. I've taken great comfort from 1 Peter 1. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ is revealed. God is using this tough time in my life to bring, him to bring me to him and to shape me into who he wants me to be. It hurts, but I trust that it is for my good and for his glory. My time in the word has also opened my eyes to how I can glorify God through my grief. If I can't do it, if I'm not trusting God with his plans for my whole life, he wants me to trust in the Lord with all my heart and lean not on my own understanding. To trust even though I don't always understand 
why he has certain paths for me to walk, to trust that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. I bring him glory when I stop relying on myself and fully rely on the one who made me. I'm sad that my story didn't end with happily ever after. That's what I was hoping for. It's hard to think about all the things that might have been if Eliza had lived. But the good news about my story and Eliza's story is that it isn't done. Instead, it is to be continued. For my time here on earth is just a dot on the timeline of eternity that I will have to spend with my daughter and with my Lord. So whatever your stress might be, whether it is something big like grief or just the little day-to-day things that bring you down, bring it to the Lord. Seek Him through the Word. He just wants you to trust in His plan for you. And to quote my son's Jesus Storybook Bible, to remember that God loves you with a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever kind of love. Just like Jehoshaphat, the more that we praise God, the more that we look to engage God, the more that we go into the scriptures, the more that we try and find the truth, the more that we connect to God, the more that we pray to God, the more chances we have of discovering the purpose of our pain. Pain is inevitable. But we can use pain to numb us and to break us down. And we can use pain in order to engage with God and to claim the victory that he has already won. Remember at the beginning I said we have three choices. To fight, to run, or to be forged. And forging refines us and brings out the impurities. It molds us into something that is useful for God. And it makes us harder and stronger. There are three kinds of systems in this world. The one is fragile systems, things that break. If if you brought a vase into my house, my son would show you how quickly it can break. The second one are robust systems. So in our world, we try to make the financial world robust. We try to strengthen certain things. And even though they are strong, they often do break. But there are a third kind of system, and they're called anti-fragile systems. And the wonderful thing about anti-fragile systems is the more pressure you put on the system, the better it performs. Whenever we go and run and exercise, we break down our muscle in order for it to be rebuilt and to become stronger. And our bones become stronger, and our cardiovascular system becomes stronger. In marriages that are, that are well put together, the more pressure you put on the marriage, the closer the couple becomes and the better the relationship is. So it's an anti-fragile system. And for us as Christians, the more pressure that comes on to us and the more we connect with God, the stronger we become. For when we are weak, then we are strong. The final thing that silversmiths do in order to make sure that the the silver is refined to the right standard is they look down upon the metal and if they can see their face reflect back at them, then they know it is ready. Sometimes we go through trials and pressure and disappointment and discomfort 
We go through pain and defeat and hardship and tragedy and trauma. But the wonderful thing is if we are connected to God, when God looks down upon us, after we have been forged, he sees his own image reflected back at him. One that is filled with love, that is filled with compassion, that is filled with trying to do the kingdom things, to build the kingdom as it is in heaven down here on earth. And the more that we connect to God and the more that we endure those trials, the more we become like Christ. So we have that third option, and we as Christians make that choice. And I pray that we will continually choose to be forged in the pain and the hardship in order to become more like Christ. For he took the pain of the world and put it upon his shoulders so that we could be set free. May God be with us all as he challenges us. Let us pray. Dear Lord, so many times I moan and scream and grovel because I feel that I have been unjustly targeted for pain. I feel that the world is unfair and it is unjust, and why did you allow it to happen? And then so often I remember that my greatest blessing has been in those moments where I've clung to you because you have been my only strength. You said when God is all you have, then God is all you need. And in fact, it is in those moments that we start to feel our strength being restored. Lord, we want to live victoriously in difficult times, and it starts with the relationship that we have with you. I pray, Lord, that no matter where we are on our journey, that we would then re-look at it, that we will engage with the pain in our lives, that we will bring those places where we have not been transformed and have been sinning to the surface so that you might start to cleanse us and make us whole. I pray, Lord, that we will not numb ourselves from what is going on, but that we will embrace all of what the world is so that we might become more like you. Lord, thank you that you are with us no matter what happens. You are the God who never sleeps and never slumbers. But Lord, thank you also that through your word we have seen how the victory always comes And that when we turn to the book of Revelations, we know, Lord, that you are coming again and that you will reclaim this world as your own. We will always be on the winning side when we fight for you. So, Lord, give us the courage and boldness to live that kind of life so that we too might be triumphant and that we too might be able to walk in the spirit of the Lord and know the victory that you have won for us. We ask this in and through your beautiful name. Amen.